peace of our Lord be with you. Then the Lord answered Job, saying, Who is this who keeps speaking without knowledge? Every three years, the lectionary places in the path of the church throughout the world those words from the book of Job, that long-awaited, much-anticipated moment when, at long last, God answers Job's questions. By this point in the book of Job, by my count, Job has asked 114 questions from why did God let me be born to why won't God let me die to why has God made me God's target? To why do the wicked prosper while the innocent suffer? Question upon question upon question. One after another. A hundred and fourteen in all during all of which God remains absolutely silent until at last we get to today's lesson from the book of Job where finally God responds to Job's questions. But much to Job's dismay and ours, God answers Job's questions with more questions. By my count, 60 of them in all. So many questions for Job from God that they consume more than three full chapters of the book of Job. The book which wears Job's name like the life which bears Job's pain. Nothing but one hard question after another. One of the most important of which rarely receives much attention. A question Satan asks God all the way back at the beginning of the story. This is early in that long biblical evolution of Satan, where Satan ends up as God's enemy, but starts out as God's employee. A lieutenant serving under God, running errands for God. Satan, working under God as part of God's sort of team of rivals, asks God a very important question. 
all the way back at the beginning of the story. It comes at that moment when God is pointing out to Satan what a model citizen Job is, going so far as to say that there is not another soul on the planet who loves God as deeply or serves God as faithfully as Job. To which Satan replies, Does Job love you for nothing? Why wouldn't Job worship, serve, and love you? Asked Satan. You've given him everything anyone could ever want. Let's send Job some trouble. And then we'll find out what your star student is really made of. Surely, concluded Satan, you don't think Job loves you for nothing, do you? A question which is large enough back there on the page, but one which grows larger still when we cross that hermeneutical bridge from Job to Jackson and pose the same question to our life with and love for God. Do we love, worship, and serve God in exchange for something, some hoped-for blessing, or reward, or protection, or to borrow the language of the book of Job, do we love God for nothing? For many of us, the answer to that question changes and evolves as life goes by. I cannot speak for you, but as for me, there once was a time in my life when I would have said, no, I don't love God for nothing. I love God for something. I love and serve God in exchange for blessings in this life and rewards in the next. The idea being that if I love God deeply enough and serve God faithfully enough, then in exchange for my loyalty and devotion, God will reward and bless me and mine. But it's been a long, long time since motivations such as those incentivized my life with God. Somewhere along the way, how or when, I cannot say, I actually learned to love God without any thought of a blessing or a reward. And I think that happens for many, if not most, of the children of God. At first, we see our life with God as a transaction, operating on the assumption that if we love God deeply enough and serve God faithfully enough, then in exchange for our devotion, God will reward, protect, and guard us. 
a transactional approach to our life with and love for God where everything is a transaction. If we give God this, then God will give us that. But then, somewhere along the way, we come to see that life does not always work that way. We watch the finest people we have ever known face the hardest struggles we have ever seen. And it occurs to us deep down in our spirit that we cannot do enough good, attend enough church, or give enough money to obligate God to guard our happiness or protect our family. Rather, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the rain falls and the sun shines on the good and the bad without regard for whether they are good or bad. And once we come to see that, once we come to see that we live in a world where wonderful things happen and terrible things happen, and if any of them can happen to anyone, all of them can happen to everyone, then we begin to know the freedom and joy and deep contentment which come with loving God as unconditionally as God loves us. There is just nothing else like that in all of this world. To finally come to that place in your life where you actually love God as unconditional as God loves you. Loving God and serving God with never a thought about reward or punishment or any other external motivation or incentive. Loving God exactly the same in good times and bad, happy and sad, completely content just to know that no matter what, God is with us and God is for us. Sometimes taking us around the worst and sometimes helping us through the worst, but always with us 
and always for us, no matter what. If we can stay on the path to depth with God long enough, prayerfully enough, that is the place at which we might eventually arrive. Stay on the path to depth long enough, prayerfully enough, walking in the Holy Spirit carefully enough, and eventually we can come out into that deep, wide, wonderful place where we just get up every day and love God the same way God loves us. Unconditionally. No strings attached. No matter what. Amen.